is Actually You Are a Real Runner with Jacqueline Riccio. All right, I am so excited. Today on the podcast, I have Michelle Hearn. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So Michelle and I connected on Instagram. I'm really excited. She's a registered dietitian, a marathon runner, dog and chicken owner, which I mean, all three of those things sound amazing. And I felt <laughs> enthusiast, unapologetic lesbian, how, like so excited to connect. So we connected on Instagram kind of over my posts about Whole30 and like disordered eating and everything I was struggling with. And then when I found her page and I was like, oh my gosh, like just all of your stuff about running. I'm really excited to get into all of this. So let's start there. So right now you are going for some big goals right now with running. What's going on with that? Yeah. So right now, probably my, my biggest goal is I want to, you know, qualify for the trials in the marathon. So the Olympic trial. So what that means is you have to run under um, two hours and 45 minutes. And I'm likely going to miss 2020. The 2020 trials are in um, Atlanta in the end of February. One of my best friends has qualified. And so I'm hoping to go down there and watch her. But my fastest time as of now is 2.55.34. And so it's my goal over the next few years to kind of slowly chop time off to get under that 245. And, you know, of course, in doing that, I'd also like to, to best my um, previous uh, fastest half marathon. My fastest half is 121.31. Uh, fastest 5K is 17.36. So, you know, definitely interested in uh, just getting a little faster, getting out and putting some miles in and, you know, live out in Portland. So it's a great place to run. That's really cool to hear because I talk to a lot of new runners where they'll have like, I want to get to this pace um, or like this uh, 5k time. And they're like, you know, by the end of this year, like in three months. So to hear you say like, cool, this is like over several years that you're working on this goal. It's a completely different mindset. Um, what is, so if you're doing a 245, what is that? What is that pace? I should ha I should know that right off the bat. <laughs> I can tell you that um the my two fifty four was uh you know is six forty two. I believe it's between six fifteen and six twenty pace yeah. per mile. Um, don't quote me on that, but it's it's something around there to okay. for the entire marathon. Yeah. So this is like a long term goal, which is a hard. It's like hard for a lot of us to picture that. But I love that. So you've been running for a while. Um, tell me a little bit more how you got into running. So, so yeah, so I actually, when I was 14 years old, I, um, really, I loved sports. I wanted to play basketball. I wanted to play soccer, but I was, I was pretty lean. I was, I was short too. I was about five, two, maybe, maybe five, two and a half. And so I tried out for the basketball team and I got cut in my freshman year of high school. And I was just so disappointed. And I remember thinking like, Oh, what, what could I do? And, you know, the coach said, well, you know, I'm going to enroll you in PE. And I was like, PE, I don't want to do PE. I, I know there's, you know, I know I can do something else. And she said, well, there's this running thing you could do. There's this cross country thing, but most people don't like it. And, you know, I said, okay, I didn't know anything about it. And I said, okay, I'll try. Let me, let me see. And I just fell in love with running. Like it was really neat at that time. Cause we, um, where I grew up, our, uh, high school was separate from like the senior high, like ninth and 10th grade is a totally different building across the city from 11th and 12th. So we got to meet with the 11th and 12th graders and run. So yeah, that was, that was my start. And it just took off from there. I ended up um, winning the state championship my sophomore year and, you know, going on to, to run in college after that. And then did running stay in your life after college? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, running has always been something that's just been really powerful for me and we can, you know, talk more about kind of how that developed later. But certainly, you know, as I you know, graduated from college and um, kind of went through life, it was something that really, really helped kind of level me out through difficult times. You know, I feel like, you know, one of the, my greatest messages, and I hope something that, you know, your listeners can take away is just the power of consistency. Mm -hmm. You know, running is one of those, like, almost like a beautiful metaphor to life, you know, putting yeah. one foot in front of the other, just really buying into the process. You know, I have so many things nowadays that, so many quick fixes, do this, do that, where, you know, it really is a testament to when you, when you put in the effort day after day after day, you really get to see, you know, the results over time. And that's a, you know, it's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that that was one of my favorite things about it is someone that started way later in life where it was like, it was about consistency and it was about like the long term. and sure there's the short term races and what you're doing, but like 
improving over a long time and the different goals that can come and like just so many different challenges um, that come with it, but it just like can weave in and out of your life. And it's, it's, it's not like anything else. Truly. Yeah, absolutely. What does it look like day to day now? Because you have a full-time job, um, (laughs) you have a lot of things going on. How do you, like, how do you manage training for something ridiculous like a 245 marathon? (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, it really comes down to, and I would tell this to anybody, is just um, planning and creativity, you know, and when you, when you decide something is really important to you, so much of like what we're going to succeed in is our mindset. You know, my mindset is, you know, this, this is important to me. This is a priority. So I've really set my life up around making sure that happens, you know, and it, and I, and it's a habit every single day, you know, I'm up at about five in the morning. Very first thing I'm going to do is I'm, you know, I'm going to, you know, go feed the chickens, <laughs> go grab the dog, run her around the block real quick. Um, you know, kiss my wife and I'm out the door, you know, I, I'm beating the traffic to get to Portland. I don't start work till eight 30, but I'm getting to work by six. So that way I can get out and get my run and shower and then be ready to go. And okay. so by the time I get back, you know, I'm eating quick breakfast and then, you know, going through my day, which, you know, working, I work with psychiatric patients. I work in two different hospitals in Portland. I work for legacy. I also work, um, in acute care across the water at Good Samaritan. And so, just depending on what the day brings, you know, I may be working eight to five and maybe they're longer. Sometimes I have my hour shift. Um, but then, you know, oftentimes I'll be doing an evening run as well. So it's, it's really setting myself up, you know, but we know like when we create these habits, you know, for me, it almost feels weird not getting up and running, you know? Um, I feel like I'm more cranky (laughs) when I don't get a workout in. And I mean, you know, I'm not saying certainly that everybody needs to get up every day and run, but when you set yourself up, you know, when you say, um, I'm going to do this and you, and you carve out that time and you, and you do it consistently, it becomes easier. You know, we know that when we create habits, it's super hard when we first start, it feels uncomfortable, you're tired, you're sore, you're cranky, right? But once you do it a few times, you know, your, your brain, you start to wire that pathway, right? Like, this is what I'm going to do. And it just, um, it just becomes part of, part of life. But it does take planning. You know, I always tell patients that I talk to, like, you know, you don't listen to me say eat healthy and then salad like magically appears in your fridge, right? You, you have to go buy it. You have to, you have to go to bed early. You have to have the food set out. You know, you have to have your gym bag packed. So, mm-hmm. um, so my life, you know, I like to, I like to be laid, laid back in the sense that I'm, I don't get overly, you know, thrown off because like, I guess so many different things happen during my day with patients, but I really make my workout a priority, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking as you were kind of like listing what you do in your morning, like what your morning routine looks like. I was thinking about a book I read a while ago called um, Miracle Morning, but he was talking about how like you have to make sure that you're doing something for yourself first thing in the morning because the rest of the day, it doesn't matter what job you're doing, the rest of your day, you are doing stuff for other people and the rest of the day can be like an effing mess and you know, everything is falling apart. But like, if you have that thing that you did for yourself first thing in the morning and even just all the things that you're listing, it's like, those are really important things. And those are the things that like we enjoy about life and, you know, make us happy. Um, and even just the, like, if you're moving your body first thing in the morning, it does help the rest of the day not be an effing mess. Truly, truly. There, there is something to really be said about winning the morning. You know, I've heard several people say like, you know, you're most, you know, and people may say like, oh, I'm not a morning person. I'm not this, but I would encourage anybody, your energy is so much better throughout the day. You know, when you get up, you know, even if it's small, depending on, and that's the beauty of running. If you're a brand new runner, you know, starting where you're at, even if you're out the door, you know, you're doing a 10 or 15 minute jog, like getting that in the the first thing in the morning. I mean, that's really powerful for the rest of your day. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I talk a lot. I heard you say that, like, I'm not a morning person, which used to be my, um, that was my, (laughs) the the (laughs) affirmation that I said over and over and really anything like I'm not a morning person. I'm not a real runner. Um, I'm not a happy person. And so the more that I said those things, that was like, that was the path I was creating of like, those are the actions that are going to follow it. Um, before we were talking a little bit about neuroplasticity, can you explain what that means and how that, like when it comes to, um, starting habit and like continuing on with a habit, like what that means and looks like? Yeah, absolutely. So, 
neuroplasticity is such a beautiful thing and is such a great concept. And if you're not familiar with the term, basically it's saying kind of in, kind of in layman term, it's saying that the mind has the, the beautiful ability to change because so many people, you know, if you're dealing with anxiety, you're dealing with depression, you've maybe you've always wanted to start running, but you're just like, Oh, I'm, I'm not, like you said, I'm not a real runner or you've always been overweight. You're like, Oh, I can never lose weight. You know, we, when we tell ourselves these stories, when we're repeating these thoughts, they basically get wired in our brain. The more we think things, the more um, actions we take, um, our brain, you know, our brain thinks, okay, this is what we're supposed to do. So it designs a pathway that makes it very easy to keep doing that. So, you know, you keep saying, I'm not a morning person. I'm not a real runner. You tell yourself that message over and over, then all of a sudden, you know, that's, that becomes your reality. So when you change your thoughts, this is another thing. If, you're, if your viewers don't get anything else, you have so much more power, all, and everybody listening, than you imagine. When you shift your thoughts, when you say, you know what, I am a morning person, and I am a runner, you know, and you say that consistently. You shift your thoughts, because we, we know that our, what we believe, you know, depends to determine our thoughts. Our thoughts determine our actions, and our actions create our reality. So basically, you have the ability to completely shift your reality. Yeah. I mean, six months from now, if you change how you think, and it's, I'm not saying that it's, you know, it's easy and it's fun, but say just you know, when you shift and say, you know what, I am going to do this, the body has an, an absolutely incredible way. When the mind decides something, when you create those, oh, going, sorry, backing up, back to neuroplasticity, when you, when you start to shift how you think, you know, you start to say, you know what? I am a real runner. I am. And then you go out and you jog for five minutes or 10 minutes. And then you're like, whoa, I did it. The next day you do the same thing. The next day you give yourself a break because self-care is good. <laughs> then the next day you go do it again, you know, and then you start over time. What happens is your bot, your brain develops a new pathway. And what we know, we know that those old pathways never, never go away, but you can almost think about it as like, if you, your whole life, you told yourself, I'm not good enough. You know, you have this, this pathway. It's almost like you dug this ditch, but when you start telling yourself like, oh yeah, I am good enough. Every, every time you make that thought, every time you take that positive action, you're taking a little bit of, you know, you're digging a new ditch and you're putting that dirt back in the old ditch, right? So you're, you're making, you're carving a new pathway. And over time, your mind starts to default that pathway. Yeah. So you basically are shifting your reality, you know? And so, um, yeah, I think it was going somewhere else with that, but it's a it's a really beautiful thing. So that's that's kind of what neuroplasticity is. It's the ability of the body, uh, or I'm sorry, the ability of the mind to change. Basically, saying that our our brains are not made of this immovable steel. They are plastic. They are shiftable and moldable and movable. But we do have to shift how you think, and you have to start shifting how you act. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I think like, so I'd always read stuff like that in like self-help books and then be like, oh, I don't know if this is really true. And then kind of got into the more of like the science and actually like reading more about how the brain works. And I was like, oh, like there's actually science to back up what these like self-help gurus are saying. And I love that visual too. Like I've talked about that, like the pathway, but even just visualizing of like, digging it and putting the dirt into the old pathway and that like, okay, cool. Like now we're making this one, this path of thinking and actions, like that's getting deeper and deeper. And then that one is, um, it's still there. It's still there. We can fall back into it, but it's not, Mm -hmm. it's not the default anymore. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So as you are training for your race, are there thoughts of that, like, you're not good enough, Michelle, you're not actually going to be able to do this? Does that still pop up for you? Oh, absolutely. You know, we're all, we're all human. We all certainly have our own insecurities. And, you know, I have several friends. I live in Portland. I've also lived in um, right outside of Boulder, Colorado. So very highly competitive, you know, running areas that have qualified for the trials. And, you know, it's easy to think like, ah, why haven't I qualified yet? You know, I'm getting older you know, all the different things you can tell yourself, oh, I should have done this. I should have done that in my life. So there's things that, that, that come up, you know, but that's when I really go back to, you know, what are my goals? Like, what am I trying to achieve? And what is, what is the purpose behind that? Because oftentimes too, I think it's really helpful to, to tie maybe a bit of a bigger purpose. You know, I want to qualifying and running that time is a really big deal for me, but it also, you know, it's, it, it fuels who I am, you know, it gives, 
it kind of gives a gives I feel like a little bit more power to my story, you know, as a dietitian and as, you know, we'll talk later about um someone who's recovered from an eating disorder. So yeah. Yeah, so it's creating this new life. It's this, you know, this powerful person. Yeah. So yes. how how do you get yourself out of so when you find yourself getting into those thoughts and kind of like in that path of like, oh, you're not, you're not going to be able to do this. You know, other people are better than you. How do you get yourself out? Or how do you even realize that you're doing that and you're falling back into that? I shift quickly. You know, I think, um, I know there's a lot of different theories and ways and, you know, you can overanalyze, but I think sometimes we get in a, we overthink things. You know, I'm certainly, I know I'm a master of overthinking like, Oh no, blah, blah. I think, you know, you get a thought that's like, Oh man, I'm not good enough. I just click switch quick. Be like, I don't know if you can curse on your podcast. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) So I, you know, when I, when I get in a pattern like that, I just immediately be like, fuck that. No. And then just switch, you know? And I, sometimes I think, you know, if, if you're someone who curses, I encourage you to, there, there's actually some research behind that. We, we, our brains react a little bit differently (laughs) to certain words. But it's it just saying like, no, like I remember, like I, I've worked very hard and nothing in life is guaranteed. Right. But I, I absolutely believe I deserve a shot. And so I'll just be like, fuck that. And, and something I was talking about a little bit earlier is when the mind decides something, the body will find a way. And I, I think a lot of people can listening to this can probably reflect on something, whether it's, a, you know, you know, maybe a physical like race or something you're going through where you were just tired, dead to the world, but you made it through. If you decided I'm going to finish this, it might not have been pretty. <laughs> We've all had those, those finishes, but you know, when you decide like, Hey, I'm going to do this. I mean, the mind has a lot of power. There's, a, there's also saying that the body will quit way, way more times than the mind. Right. So I shift my thinking quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's helpful to hear that someone who is successful that those thoughts still pop up for them, but to know how do you get yourself out of those thoughts and not just think like, okay, cool. Like everything, you know, everything is just like perfect for Michelle. Like this is super easy training to to run a fast marathon that that's, you know, she's just always done this, but like, no, she has these thoughts come up too, but this is how she handles them. And this is how she gets herself back on the track. Yeah. You know, that's, that's really interesting. You bring that up. Me and my, my, good buddy. Um, her name's Jeanette. She's going to the trials. We were talking about that on a run that some people assume that if you're a faster runner, like, Oh, this is just easy. And it's like, Nope, every day my lungs hurt. My legs hurt. (laughs) We still hurt. We still deal with all the same things. You know, it's just, we've consistently, you know, been doing it to where you, you get, you kind of learn how to overcome some of those negative thoughts and, um, you know, continue to push ahead. Yeah. There are times that I'll be out like the first mile of my run and be like, I don't think I can do this. Like, like the first mile. And then I'm like, wait a second. (laughs) You've done this so many times. That's just the thought that just happens, Jacqueline, that always pops up and then you do it and it's fine. But it's like, it's it's like the first mile of my run where I start to freak out. I'm like, no, we're not doing that anymore. We don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's, um, how, you know, how humans, like how, how evolution and how, how we were designed is, you know, we were all, we were designed to move away from things that were painful and towards things that were pleasurable, right? That, that's how, um, that was survival back then. So often that's another thing, you know, when we have these like fears, like, oh my gosh, I, 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 you know, I'm not going to make it. Or, you know, like you said, I went, I ran a whole mile. What if I can't finish your body wants to protect you? You know, we have all these mechanisms that we've kind of outgrown, you know, like you and I are really not, um, in danger of being eaten by a tiger, right? You know, or anything like where our lives are genuinely not in danger, but often, you know, we'll feel these, you know, doubts like, oh, I should, you know, your, your doubts are going to, are going to always default to, to safety. Yeah. I should be resting. I should be, you know, not basically not running, not, not expending energy. So, you know, you can always remember that sometimes another thought that pops into my head, I actually had this during my last marathon PR, I hit the halfway point and I was right on pace. And the first thing that came in my head was like, Oh my God, am I going to be able to keep this up for another 13 miles? And I just remember immediately saying, we'll see, we'll see. Like you don't put a judgment on it. You don't say yes. You don't say no. Just we'll see, let it go, you know? And uh, it was fine. I love that. So like that question pops up and then you kind of answer it and then move on. Yeah. Real soon. Don't overthink it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we've been talking about running a lot and kind of like where you're at right now, but let's backtrack a little bit because there were some other struggles that popped up in your life that you had to work through. So 
take us back to your relationship with food growing up and what was that like for you? Yeah, that was, um, gosh, I feel like I could write a book on this. Maybe I will someday. Um, so I am the youngest of four, born and raised right outside of Plano, Texas. I have three older sisters, and my mom was undiagnosed um, bipolar disorder, OCD, severe anxiety, and also um, had a severe severe anxiety around food. She's about 5'4", at that time was probably less than 100 pounds, and was very sure she was fat. She would constantly say, I'm so fat, and you know, you can't be fat. Fat is bad. She would um, yell at my dad a lot because he was slightly overweight. And so as a young person, I remember being five, six years old, the message was, you know, don't be fat. She would restrict food. Um, she dealt with severe depression. And so it was, it was challenging, you know, because you saw your mom just, just struggling. And you don't really understand. Obviously, as an adult, I understand that, you know, that struggle and that she needed help. But as a kid, you just you, you start to internalize that. And so, unfortunately, you know, when I got older, things got worse. By the time I was, you know, I want to say nine, she was dealing with a severe, like, mania and then would go into severe depressed states to where she would lock herself in a room. She wouldn't eat for days. Um, and so it was, it was hard. It was really hard as a kid. And my dad is a, is a really good guy. He's a wonderful human. Um, but he also he was working a lot. You know, my mom wasn't working because she was um, – struggling. She would, she would go through periods where she'd wait tables or, you know, do, you know, stock shelves. She's very smart, college educated, but her disease just really took her down. So, um, so I, I found some refuge in school, you know, me and my sisters, you know, we all, we all got straight A's. We were all, you know, pretty, pretty perfectionists. And I, I did really well in sports. And unfortunately, by the time I was 11, I was playing, you know, I was playing soccer and I, I started to, I went on like really my first kind of diet, you know, lost a little bit of weight. My mom at that time was really obsessed with dieting and losing weight and dieting. And, um, and I actually lost a little bit of weight. I remember at the age of 11 and I ran a little faster on the soccer field. And I remember people pointing out like, oh, wow, you know, you did really good. And that was kind of the beginning of the, you know, fuel that started a fire. And before anybody realized it, myself included, you know, we didn't have the internet and all these things. I passed out in school. And the next thing I know, I'm waking up in the nurse's office and the police are there because I was, um, at the time, almost five feet tall, I'd say like 4'11", but I was so thin. I, um, I was about a little, like, let's say about 67 pounds that I was covered in bruises just because I didn't have any body fat. And so they were questioning me, like, are my parents beating me? <laughs> And so, unfortunately, I, you know, I was too far gone at that point. I didn't, you know, get better. I, you know, I, they, I, I was removed from school. I ended up going to a treatment program in Ramuda Ranch, which was in Wickenburg, Arizona. And as you can imagine, for a 12-year-old, you know, that's it was terrifying. It's yeah. like, hey, you're going to be away from your family for 60 days. Um, and so my parents, you know, we were in the waiting room. The doctor was going to take my parents across the hall to tell them what's going on. And just like any good 12-year-old, they told me to wait there. So, you know, I waited until they were out of sight. And then I went to try to listen in to what they were saying. And I heard the doctor tell my parents that I probably wasn't going to survive. Like, at that time, I had stepped on the scale and I was 4'11 and a half and I weighed 57 and a half pounds. So I, I could barely walk. I had my internal organs were shutting down. And that was the first time in my life. Actually, to this day, it's only only see my dad cry twice. And that was the first time in my life that I saw him cry. Um, and then my parents left and that treatment center saved my life. I was immediately put on a 24 hour tube feeding. Um, you know, I was, you had to eat meals, you went through treatments and I, you know, I, I definitely gained weight, but I still, still wasn't quite mentally where I needed to be. And unfortunately, as I was getting better, then you get put back in that same environment, right? So I came home to that same environment. My saving grace, um, my older sister, my second oldest sister is only 14 months older than I am. And so we had such a close relationship growing up. And when I started to get sick, I, I didn't care. You know, I didn't care if I got to the point where, you know, your, your body is eating itself. I was in pain every day. I was only eating about 100 calories a day. I'd get home from school and walk until I literally couldn't anymore. And I, I got rid of all my friends. I pushed my sisters away, especially my sister, Kristen. 
And it was interesting. I wish I could tell you exactly what made that shift, but I just, I decided, you know, I didn't, I didn't like living how I was living. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to try. And so I started, you know, my family, my sisters specifically didn't want to spend any time with me because I was, I was not a nice person and I was, you know, still very OCD. And so I started letting go. I started eating more. I spent that whole summer from the time I was 13 to 14, just eating a lot of food, not really doing much of anything, just sitting and reading. And then slowly I started to rebuild that relationship with my older sister. And by the end of the summer, I had you know gained enough weight to where I was going to be able to participate in sports again. And I just, it's kind of like I threw a lot of caution to the wind. You know, I started eating foods that I never ate during my eating disorder, you know, burgers, pizza, just, just went for it. And I watched my body go from this, you know, super skinny, you know, you might not survive to had to muscle again. I could, I could walk again, you know, and I do want to back up while I was at the treatment center, you know, I'm 12. I'm a, you know, kind of a <laughs> little bit of a, I don't want to say a brat, but I, I did meet with a dietitian there and her name was Cheryl. I'll never forget this. And she just wasn't very nice. She was kind of cold. I realized you have an eating disorder. You can be kind of mean, kind of manipulative. But I remember telling her that uh, someday I'm going to be a dietitian. And I'm going to be way better than you. <laughs> and to her credit, she said, all right, do it. <laughs> and, um, but uh, yeah, so, you know, when I, I turned 14 and I was at a, finally at a better weight, and I, that's when you know, I tried out for the basketball team and got cut and did this cross country thing. And, you know, unfortunately I am um, from having such low, low weight. I, I did, I had a really bad stress fracture my um, uh, senior year of high school and found out that I had osteopenia in my hips and osteoporosis in my spine, which is a pretty scary thing to hear at 18 years old. Um, but thanks to the makers of Fosamax and, continued good eating you know my bone density is now normal but um but yeah you know I, I broke I've had two stress fractures and you know a few other injuries but you know and I and I, I certainly don't want to come on here and sing like oh man every day is super easy and I never have struggles or issues with food I think that's also to be human and to be a woman you know in this culture but it's so much better. And if there's anybody listening to this that struggles with anorexia or bulimia or orthorexia or any type of disordered eating, just please, please know that there is hope and there's healing. And um, the best things that I ever did, one, obviously, you know, shifting your mindset, but surrounding yourself with the support system, you know, whether you need a therapist, you know, when I was in acute care, a therapist, a doctor, a dietitian, um, you know, getting good supportive people around you is, is huge. But you can absolutely, you know, I started putting all the energy that I was putting into, you know, starving and restricting into how can I heal myself, you know, and how can I help other people? How can I give back? How can I be a better person? Right. Mm -hmm. So can you take us back to a little bit like that mindset shift? So you were going through a period where you were trying to make your body as small as you could, and then you went to the treatment center and then to be able to start sports, like I, like that, like, how do you, like, what was the mindset shift? Like, what kinds of things are you switching in your head? Because that's like, I feel like that's a big shift. Um, yeah. To yeah. Again. Well, it was. And I, and then, um, and you know, I'm not overly, I grew up in a very Catholic family. Um, and I'm not certainly overly religious. Um, but I used to, I used to pray when I was in the, the throes of my eating disorder, when I was in the worst to where my weight was so low and my body hurt and I was cold and, you know, I didn't want to live anymore. I used to, to pray to die. And I used to wake up and be really angry, you know, like, ah, oh, I must, if there's a God who hates me and this just sucks and I have to go through a whole nother day starving myself. And so I had a lot of anger and I had, I mean, I was angry at everybody and I hated myself. I hated everything. And so, you know, but once, once I started to, to get some more nutrition and some more, you know, just weight, just from being at the treatment center, I started to think about what could be. Like, what are the possibilities? Like, what did I ever want out of life? You know, I was so young at that point. I was 12. But I loved sports. You know, I loved playing sports. I loved watching sports. I still love watching sports. Um, so I started to, to dream. You know, I started to just say, like, what if? Like, what, you know, why not? Just starting, starting to change, like, the types of questioning I was asking, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, that was a really, that was a really big thing. But I, I really 
for me, when I got home from the treatment center, because it was, you know, I still unfortunately was put back in with a very dysfunctional, yeah. um, I don't want to say dysfunctional family, just a, a mom who really needed help. Um, that, you know, having, having a sister and having some really good friends, even at that young age that were like, we got you, like, what do you need? You know, would sit with me when I ate Would you know, I couldn't, I couldn't play sports right away. It took a few months, you know, they'd go on walks with me or, Hey, let's just play video games. Let's hang out. So I started to, to, to think, you know, and in, in the back of my mind, I believe we all kind of have these, these goals and these dreams we know we want to do, you know, whether it's, Oh, I want to start a business someday, or I want to run a marathon or hell, I want to run a mile, you know, whatever it is you want to do. Um, I knew there was something, I didn't know quite what it was, but I knew I wanted to do something, you know, in the realm of athletics. So I kept thinking like, you know, I just shifted like, okay, I have to shift my life and everything towards that goal. You know, what, what does that mean? That means eating more. That means, you know, putting on weight. That means, um, you know, taking, taking the risk. And, and I did. And so, um, but I also think it was just, it was consistency too. I consistently fought those negative thoughts. And at first every day was a nightmare. I'd wake up and I'd eat and I'd cry and because you're a battle with yourself, you know, yeah. it's not like I just, you know, snap my fingers and all of a sudden eating was easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but as the more I did it, and this is with anything in life, the more you do it, you know, the less your brain has to participate, the more it's just natural. Um, but you have to get past that hump. I would tell anybody that like when you're shifting a habit, be ready for a month or two of like, yeah, this, this is hard. This doesn't feel good. You know? Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit more about, so you, t- you said about like just being a woman in nowadays and with the influx of images that we have thrown at us and um, messages about what our bodies are or, you know, what they should be or how we should be eating. How did you navigate life as someone like in college and after college? And now were there things that like, were there past things that popped up again, like with an eating disorder or just maybe thoughts around food? Sure. Sure. Um, Yeah. So, you know, navigating, it, it's hard because you, I mean, you're going to be bombarded with images all the time, you know, and I feel like we have so many, we have really good um, campaigns and movements going on to, to celebrate like women of all sizes, because there isn't this one size, you know, it, it isn't, you know, being skinny isn't healthy. You know, I, I really value the new kind of the new thing that I've seen is like, be strong, you know, be a strong woman. And that, means something different for everybody. And we know that there are all types of bodies, you know, there are larger, larger bodies and smaller bodies and one or the other is no more or less healthy or more or less right than another. But unfortunately society has said like, this is the way you need to look. You need to be, you know, size two or size zero and five ten and huge breasts. And, and it's just, it's not real. You know, and for a while, I, I worry about our young people, you know, buying into these messages. That you have to look this certain way. Um, you know, I, I really try not to expose myself too much to it. I don't follow Instagram accounts about that or social media. Um, you know, I kind of try to rally against, I guess, you know, even kind of the, <laughs> some of the more mainstream stuff. And I just try to celebrate and um, support groups that are, um, supporting women of all sizes, you know, very, a lot of feminist movements. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really do think there, there's a really big power to embracing yourself, you know, cause I am you know, genetically, I'm, I'm just, I'm small. My mom was, you know, and I'm never going to be, you know, a weightlifter, a bodybuilder, mm-hmm. just like somebody, you know, I have two older sisters who, um, weigh more than I do. They are never going to probably be as small as me. It's so much of, how we are going to be starts with your genetics, you know, and people will put themselves through hell, you know, trying to starve themselves and do all these things to look a certain way. And it's really sad that, you know, that, that, we, that we do that as women. So I would just encourage everybody to, you know, really embrace, embrace who you are, embrace your, your body. You know, this is the only one we have. Yeah. So trying to take care of that and honor that. And that does mean, you know, putting good food in your body. And that does mean moving your body. But that doesn't mean, you know, um, trying to restrict or exercise in a way to fit this ridiculous ideal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, like, I always had this image of when I get to my goal weight, my legs will be like these 
Barbie thin legs. And also my partner will love me more when I look like Barbie. But really, that never, one, that never happened. That's just not genetic wise. That's my legs are never going to look like that. And two, my obsession with food made our relationship miserable because I couldn't eat anything. I couldn't go in, you know, like I have to exercise two times a day. I have to like, yeah. that did not help our relationship. That made the relationship more difficult um, because of that obsession. Yeah, that's a great point. And I would encourage anybody. And I imagine people who have like lost a lot of weight or if you've gone on these crash diets, you know, it's such an illusion. You know, you're saying like, I, I'm going to like myself more and other people will like me more when I look this way. And in my experience, that that never happens. I've never talked to somebody dealing with restrictive eating that's like, man, now I really like myself. You know, it, it doesn't end. It's like, well, now I have to lose this much more weight. It's, um, yeah, or yeah, now my partner will like me. Now I'll think I'm beautiful. It's, it's all elusive. And it's really a really horrific cycle to get caught up in. And like you said, if I could have back the hours, the days, the minutes that I've spent obsessing about food and weight and all these things, you know, when I was really struggling with my eating disorder, I could probably build low-income housing with all that time, you know, like we waste so much time and energy that can be given to loving yourself and loving others. And the older I get, I mean, this is a secret for your younger people, the people who really care about you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Nobody really cares what you look like, you know? Um, I remember when I was a young dietitian working up at OHSU, I would, you know, I'd really try to dress up with tons of makeup. It. And one day I was kind of like, you know what, screw it. And I decided not to. Nobody's reaction was any different. So I just kind of from then on was like, all right, I'm, not, I'm just going to do me and do what I feel like, you know, fits me better. Yeah. So, you know, be you. Be, there, there's nothing more powerful and more uh, affirming than just being your authentic self. Embrace your body. Embrace your, um, you know, what you want, who you are. And that is what's really attractive to people. You know, yes. I mean, most people can, with confidence is so sexy and so awesome, you know, be you, you know, like you. And I mean, it's a process, <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, but I think most people can relate to saying like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like myself better. I'm going to be happier when I'm thinner. Or I look this way. And like I said, my experience is it doesn't happen. Yeah. It's like I started to like myself more when I started to do hard things like running. Like, cool, I'm going to run a marathon. I'm going to run a second marathon. That, like, the path to becoming a strong woman is what made myself like myself more. But when I was trying to lose weight, I hated everything about everything. Even exercise. Like, I hated exercise. It wasn't fun. It was for the sole purpose mm -hmm. of making my body smaller, not building myself up. It was miserable. Exactly. Yeah. It was, it was inauthentic because, yeah. you know, it wasn't who you really wanted to be. You were doing it mm -hmm. for, you know, an outside purpose, you mm -hmm. know? And that's why when we do anything in life, you know, whether it's, you know, I want to run, I want to, you know, like a, my example earlier, start a business, like it has to be internally motivated. Cause like you said, you decide like, okay, I want to run a 5k when you, as you work towards that, as you build up towards that, when you accomplish that, you feel awesome. Yeah. There is no better feeling than crossing that finish line. Like, hell yeah, I did this. It's yeah. so, oh man, it's the greatest high. But yeah, you say, okay, I want to lose 10 pounds and you're out there every day you're running. You're like, this sucks. I hate everything. And man, as soon as you lose those 10 pounds, it's like, Phew, now I can finally eat what I want. I can finally go back. I mean, that's the whole issue with the whole 30 and the, you know, all these different diets out there is we restrict to a point that it's just setting you up. Like as soon as you're done, you know, it's like, whew, now I, now I can finally have some sugar and yes. then, you know, it, it doesn't set you up for life. You know, yeah. you want to be a strong woman, do hard things. I like that. I'm going to, I'm going to steal that from you. Do hard things, you know, yeah. chase, set a goal, show yourself that you can do it. One of the books I just read and I've been recommending to everyone is Atomic Habits. Have you read it? Atomic Habits? I haven't read it. I've heard it's really good. It is. One of the things I loved about it, um, that he does. And I felt like he had like the vocabulary that I was missing and I didn't know exactly how to talk about this stuff. But like when, with the, the name of the podcast, actually you are a real runner. And the idea is like, say that this is what you are so that you start to do the things and think the thoughts of someone who's a runner and you do the actions of someone who is a runner. And so he kind of talks about that too. Like if you have the goal of losing 10 pounds, once you hit that goal, you're like, peace, I'm out. Like I'm done. And also you'll do anything. You'll do everything possible to meet that goal, but it's not sustainable. 
and then you meet the goal, you go back to your old life. But if you just become a person who is a moderate eater and a moderate exerciser, and that's like your identity, so you make that identity shift, you actually, like, you just become that person, and then there's no, there's no end date. Like, that's just who you are now, and it's, it's, it's a really different way of looking at things, but such a healthier perspective on it. Um, it's a great book. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I love, um, it is, it's shifting kind of like what you do daily versus kind of one strange abstract goal that you just can't wait to, to revert back to, you know, I can't wait to hit it so I can go back to my old habits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is what I always did after like, great. Now I'm going to eat all the mozzarella sticks. Like I just can't wait to eat all of them and then feel crummy and search for the next diet to do. So I want to, since I do have a registered dietitian, I do want to talk a little bit about nutrition and just some advice for people who are wanting to get healthier, but they don't want to do a restrictive diet and they don't want to count macros and they don't want to, you know, cut a food group out. What are some things that you would advise on like, cool, get started with these things um, to like help yourself be healthier rather than just make yourself feel miserable? Yeah. So (laughs) I like that. So there's, um, you know, three concepts that I really like embrace. And I'm also going to talk about something I use every single day that has just been super, super helpful for me. So, you know, the concepts and I I like keeping things short, you know, you start to give people whole lists and they tune out. So when it comes to carbohydrates, you know, you want to start with carbohydrates. I feel like a lot of people have, you know, carb phobia, they're afraid to eat. I encourage people unless, you know, you're being followed by somebody for for some type of extreme condition. And there are, there are certain things that you might want, you know, that's a different, whatever. I encourage most people to embrace carbohydrates. I say have mostly unprocessed carbohydrates. And this is kind of where, you know, you're, when you talk, you say, have, have those plants, make sure you're having the plants, you know, have Mm -hmm. something that grows in the ground, Mm -hmm. you know, um, because cookie, there are no cookie tree, cracker tree, bagel tree, pasta tree, right? We love those things. And I want you to have those things, but I also want to make sure you're getting some fruit, some oatmeal, some beans, some right, some things that grow because we know those have the most nutrients. So we have those. Have some protein and healthy fat. Protein has a zillion functions in the body. You know, everything from, you know, rebuilding your muscles to hormone production to cell to cell communication to immune, keeping you healthy. Have some protein, have some fat. Fat also helps stabilize your blood sugar. Also going back to plants, make friends with vegetables. It's time. Vegetables need to be that friend that we like text like every day, not grandma we call on Christmas, right? So often, eat vegetables often. They're full of fiber. They're full of good stuff. So unprocessed carbs, protein and fat, eat vegetables often. And please, like you said, be a moderate eater. Make sure you're also having a cookie. Make sure you're not, um, you know, trying to eat no sugar all the time or no flour. Enjoy. Because if you say, oh, I'm only going to have a donut, you know, every third Sunday of the month. I mean, you're going to look forward to that and you're going to maybe binge, you're going to restrict, you're going to obsess, enjoy. I tell people, you know, I've worked with several people who, whatever your goals are, that do very well having, you know, some type of processed or treat daily, you know? So those would be my big things. Now, a product I really like, I'm going to talk just briefly about it. It's called Generation You Can. So it's spelled the word generation and then U-C-A-N. So now it was originally developed for kids, um, actually for a young boy, Jonah, that had glycogen storage disease. So you and I go to bed at night, our liver releases glycogen, so we don't wake up at like two in the morning with you know life-threatening low blood sugar. Kids born with this disorder, their livers don't do that. They literally have to be fed every two to three hours. So Jonah's parents had multiple clocks around the house, wake up, feed you corn starch, go back to bed, wake up. And they have other kids, so this was not sustainable. So they actually partnered with the best researchers, and they were just looking for a powder, some type of carbohydrate Jonah could take before he went to bed, that would keep his blood sugar stable through the night. And what they found that was taking non-GMO corn and putting it through a 40-hour cooking and drying process, they got this carbohydrate um, that was really big and branched. So just for reference, glucose, a sugar molecule, weighs about 2,000 um, grams per mole. That's how they measure molecules. Very exciting dietitian stuff. This weighs 500,000 grams per mole. It's a huge molecule. But what that does, Jonah would drink that about 200 calories before he went to bed at night, it would break down nice and slowly overnight. So it would keep his blood sugar stable. And so they were so excited when he slept through the night. They're like, whoa, he's taking this carbohydrate. It's keeping his blood sugar stable. This is going to be great for the maybe 1,000 kids, you know, worldwide that have the disorder. Like, well, who else would benefit from a carbohydrate 
that doesn't spike your blood sugar and doesn't cause an insulin response. Probably the whole world, right? <laughs> but specifically for my athletes and my runners, here's the thing. You take a scoop of U-can before you go run. It's a big molecule, so it's in and out of your stomach within 20 minutes. So if you're someone who deals with a lot of that, you know, slosh belly when you run, this is awesome. It breaks down nice and easily, but it doesn't cause an insulin spike. So a lot of times you go out for a run, if you have a granola bar, 30 minutes later, you're already hungry, you feel crappy. This gives you nice, steady, consistent energy for up to 90 minutes. It's amazing. It's really good. You can think like if you were able to hook up a glucose drip to yourself and it was just coming in right as your muscles need that. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's fantastic. I highly recommend it. You know, there's a lot of um, runners who use it. Meb Kofleski, who won Boston Marath- the Marathon in 2014, is a big fan. Um, a lot of, you know, NFL teams, different sports, swimming, triathlon. They have a really great website, but that's something that I've used. And it's, it's a powder. You just shake, 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 drink and go. Um, so I love it. Do you use during your regular day or just with running? You know, I actually, often I'll use it during like three or four o'clock. I'll just take a scoop. My sister's a surgeon. Um, she works out in Texas and she'll take some before she um, goes into a major surgery. Cause she's like, Hey, I could be there four hours or six or eight, you know? So you can use it anytime. It's less processed than oatmeal. You know, yeah. it's just, you know, a non-GMO corn because it originally had to be for kids. Right. So it's yeah. nothing, nothing, no caffeine or crazy stuff in there. And, um, you know, it's just, it's so good with stabilizing your blood sugar. And we just know every, all the research says that when our blood sugar is more stable in the beginning of the day, you know, you're going to feel better throughout the day, have more stable blood sugar on into the day. So, I mean, they have clinical trials on their website. It's a really, really neat product. It's just simple. Like I like simple. I wake up, drink that, you know, out for a run can feel great. You know, I've, I've used uh, one scoop, which is about a hundred calories. The, the more you use it, the more effective it is. I can go for about two hours running without having to refuel. Um, some people oh. can go longer. So Whoa. yeah, it really, it really reduces <laughs> the, well, what's, what's happening is since you don't have an insulin spike, right? Cause anytime you have insulin, you know, insulin suppresses your body's ability to use fat for fuel. So if you can run and you're, you know, even at a faster pace, you know, you're burning some carbs and you're burning some fat, but if you took in carbs before you have some insulin response, it's suppressing your body's ability to burn fat. You don't get an insulin response if you can. So you're actually able to utilize your body's own fat for fuel and the carbohydrate in the product. And that's why you can go so much longer that that's insane. Two hours. Like <laughs> I was like, Wait. I know, you know, it's really funny. It's kind of a funny story is that when I first read, I read that on let's run, like, Oh, you're going to be able to go 90 plus minutes. And I was like, that is garbage. And so yeah. I actually sent an email to the company and was like, you really shouldn't advertise like that. That's not okay. And they sent me two packets of the product and was like, Hey, we'd love your feedback. And I tried it. And I, I went like for an hour and I felt fine. I was like, well, anyone can go for an hour. And so the next day I went for two hours and I was like, well, there's, there's something to this. And yeah. so I actually, um, I did some work for them. I'm a brand ambassador for them now, like full disclosure, but man, it's, it's special. And that's, I mean, there's no other product, you know, you use goos or gels and you know, those things have their place, but they're all maltodextrin, sugar, glucose, you know, they're all kind of one half dozen another. They're kind of there to like rescue you. Like, Whoa, blood sugar's crashing. Take yeah. one every 30 minutes where this can give you nice, steady energy. Yeah. I mean, you look at their website, you'll see, um, you know, Dathan Ritzenheim, um, you know, there's so many athletes and runners, some very big sports people yeah. that use it as well. So that's, so I do have people that'll message me like, Oh, you know, like I, I try to do like a goo, but my stomach hurts from it. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> me too. Like I can't, I can't use those. My stomach hurts, but this is like, just, I'm still like mind blown, like two hours and not have yep. to not have to bring like a whole package of like what I'm going to eat while I'm running. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's really incredible. And, um, you know, you, uh, I would, I would highly recommend, you always tell people when I, when they used to do presentations, like try it, you know, they, on their website, you can get like a, you know, it's available at a lot of running stores. Um, but you know, you can get online and get a six pack just to try the different flavors. It is a big molecule. So it's thick. Think like protein shake thick, you know, it's not like, it's not like Gatorade, like thin. Um, but yeah, the fact that that, that was, that was the big selling points for me is one, I'm going to have consistent energy. I'm not going to get an hour and feel kind of dizzy or shaky or tired, you know, two, it's not going to bother my stomach. You know, that's, that's huge. I mean, I feel like people didn't know anything else. It would be like, well, that's big. But the fact that it actually allows you to use your own body fuel, fuel for fat, I think is really cool. So if you are trying to lose weight, it's fantastic. You know, it's not stopping you from breaking down your 
your own body fat. If you're trying to get faster, you absolutely want to be able to use your own body fat at faster paces. And if you just don't want to have to carry like, you know, nine maltodextrin gels and feel shitty, <laughs> that helps too. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so I just wanted to say to you that we have a registered dietitian who is saying it's okay to have carbs big and it's okay to have something that is processed like this is processed we always think like oh process is the worst thing in the world but like this is something that can help you so it's amazing thank you for sharing that can you share a typical day of food for you so that people can hear that it is okay to eat carbs and it is okay to eat a variety of food yeah um we'll just do yesterday um, so yesterday I got up about five o'clock, um, same routine, you know, feed the chickens, walk the dog. Um, I, first thing I do when I get up is hit the coffee maker. So I got coffee going. Um, I usually have about a cup of coffee, black, well, either black or a little bit of half and half. And then I'll put one to two scoops of the, you can, they have one that has, well, they have two flavors of protein, chocolate and vanilla. Sure. I think those taste a little better. So I, um, I am a big fan of the vanilla. So I'll mix two scoops of that. So that's about 200 calories. And then yesterday I did an 80 minute, just really easy run. Um, so, you know, don't know. I don't know exactly. I'm, I'm not next week is when I start wearing my garments. I don't know exactly how many miles I'm covering yet, but it's probably a, just under eight minute mile pace. Um, and so, you know, I got back to work as soon as I get back to work, you know, I'd have a banana, get in the shower, come back from showering, um, breakfast is almost always a big thing of oatmeal, you know, and I'm not talking like a little half a cup. I mean, this is a solid bowl, you know, probably dry oats, at least a cup of dry oats. Um, I love peanut butter in my oatmeal, peanut butter, brown sugar, and you know, I have a couple hard boiled eggs. I have a chicken. So, awesome. um, yeah. And usually, you know, I don't usually have anything between breakfast and lunch because breakfast is usually a little on the later 839. Um, and then lunch yesterday, I just had a, a sandwich use regular bread, um, whole wheat bread, turkey, mayonnaise, uh, two carrots, chocolate chip cookie, um, big thing of water. I may have a little more coffee. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything else. I think that was it yesterday. And then I always have an afternoon snack, you know, like a Nature's Valley granola bar. I might have somewhere you can. I like try to get a little bit of protein in the middle of the day. I find that helps me. So I'll have like a scoop away sometimes. I'll have a couple scoops of you can with my granola bar. But I love Nature's Valley granola bars. I, I saw the other day it had like partially, you know, it's genetic engineering. And I'm like, ah, what, whatever. Uh, <laughs> this is awesome. Probably healthier granola bar. You know, I just don't love the cashew ones. It's, it's going back to like that moderation. Like, hey, you know what? I had carrots at lunch. Totally fine. And then my wife loves to cook. So last night we had pasta. We use, um, we're really fortunate in Portland. We've got um, farmer's market. So we do grass-fed ground beef mushrooms, spinach, all kinds of vegetables in there, Parmesan cheese. Um, and then I had ice cream last night. Too. So the, the so dietitian had cookie, ice cream. So yeah, so you know, that, that's kind of how I roll, right? Yeah. Um, and I have a glass of wine probably two or three nights a week, but you want to make sure you're getting the protein. You know, you're, you know, I get protein, you know, three to four times a day. You're getting those carbohydrates. I always have vegetables. We, I would say 99% of the time I have vegetables at dinner get a piece of fruit almost always after my runs, but I also enjoy my meals. You know, I don't finish the day being like, God, I can't wait till tomorrow when I get to have a half a cookie. You know, I had a cookie. I'm good. Yeah. And, uh, so that's kind of, that's kind of how my day goes. That no, I think I really do think that hearing the amount of carbs that you have in your day is going to be mind blowing to some people or the fact that you put like creamer in your coffee. That's a big thing. People are like, Oh my gosh, I can't do that. That's the worst thing in the world. Or like that you have nature's Valley, um, granola bars and there's ingredients mm. in there that you might not be able to read. And if it's okay for you, then it ha like, it has to be okay. Like it's <laughs> like, I think sometimes hearing how other people eat can give us permission to like, okay, cool. I'm allowed to have a sandwich and I don't just have to have the salad and I can enjoy my food. So I just love hearing that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And you know, obviously, you know, I'm, you know, I'm training right. And right now my mileage isn't ridiculously high. And, you know, when I'm running more, I'll add another snack and I'll, you know, have sometimes I've been known to have double breakfast or have an extra sandwich. And I think when we make these food rules, these, these strange, I'm not going to have sugar. Or I'm only going to have no sugar protein bars, or I'm going to eat paleo or I'm going to eat keto. I'm going to do these different things. We really, we really set ourselves up to have this kind of weird relationship with food. And it doesn't actually really help us a whole lot. It doesn't really, it's not really good for you nutritionally. I'm, 
I'm a healthier human now that I eat, like you said, moderately way healthier than when I tried to, you know, restrict and you know, sugar free and this, you know, hundred percent whole foods or whatever. So, yeah, I read something else too. It was talking about like diet, diet cults. And they were like, we should really look and see how um, endurance athletes eat. And you'll see that they eat all of the foods. They're not just doing one of these restrictive diets. They're not, they don't usually um, attach to a diet cult. So it's like, if, what can we learn from them about moderation and just being a normal person and not having a weird relationship with food? But like, like you said, like it's, it's fueling your day. Like it's fueling you to be able to run and to walk around and do your full-time job. And you're able to enjoy food and just be a normal person. And I think that's a great place for a lot of people like if we're, if we have a goal, like that being th that identity, like that being our goal. Yeah. Yeah. I think it sounds kind of silly, but moving more towards normalcy, you know, um, I don't love the word moderation because I think sometimes people get a little, yeah, it's kind of abstract, but moving towards, you know, we've kind of, we've gone so far the other way to where we're trying to be whole food, sugar-free, you know, to where you're that one friend that's just making everyone miserable where in reality, the most successful runners I've ever been around, and I actually had an opportunity, I lived, when I was 20, I went to Kenya for eight weeks and ran with the Kenyan runners. They eat so much sugar, it would blow your mind how much sugar these people eat. Like, it's phenomenal and so much bread. Um, yeah. But yeah, the most successful runners, we eat burgers, we eat beer, and we drink beer. We're happy, you know, we're not. There's something to be said about, you know, I read an article that said, is the obsession of gluten... <laughs> making you sick. It's like you become so worried about yeah. a particular food or particular food group that you, you get this anxiety and your stomach hurts and you're like, Oh my God, maybe it was the gluten. Well, maybe it's the fact that you're freaking out about it. Yes. So, yes. and I certainly don't want, like, I know people who have true celiac disease or sure. whatever. Obviously if you have a true medical problem, that's a different story, but there's a lot of, a lot of weird dietary things we, and I want to say we, especially women do to ourselves that not only don't benefit us, they actually actually hurt us not only mentally but physically so I encourage people to get back to a routine to where you know you're eating that cookie you're you know you're having you know a glass of wine or a scoop of ice cream whatever it is that you like because I think when you give yourself permission to eat that way you know sustainably um you're gonna be fine <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna be much more likely to achieve your long-term fitness and wellness goals yeah that's wonderful Great. So running for the rest of the year, do you have any races coming up or are you, what are you doing the rest of the year? You know, I'd like to do a half marathon in December. That's kind of the big focus for the end of the year. And then I'm going to do a full marathon. I haven't quite decided if it's going to be beginning of February or end of February. So depending on how probably the next three or four weeks, I'm going to register. There's, there's a marathon out in California at the beginning of February and then another one. Um, kind of out that same way. So, so there will be a marathon at some point in the, uh, the, I guess, early spring, late winter, but yeah, I'm just trying to put down some more base miles right now. And then I'm going to start moving into some more speed. Yeah. That's wonderful. Great. If people want to connect with you to hear more about, um, anything with running or with food related, where can they find you or specify Oh yeah. Yeah. So, um, I don't really like Facebook. You're welcome to hit me up there, but I, you're much more likely to get a hold of me on Instagram. Um, it's just my first name, last name and run. So it's Michelle, M I C H E L L E and then underscore Hearn H U R N underscore runs. Um, yeah. And then send me a direct message. Feel free to follow me. There's lots of chicken pictures and running pictures. And my wife now has a, we have a little tortoise. So there's some tortoise <laughs> pictures on there too. Stop uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got a little farm going. Um, but yeah, it's actually pretty cute. It's, pretty, pretty adorable. So yeah, I would love to answer any questions or if you, you know, if you know someone who's struggling or you yourself are, I can maybe point you to the right direction, you know, and especially in your area, finding a provider where you just want to talk about nutrition. I mean, I love, I love talking about it. If I could just get paid to, to do what we're doing right now, that'd yeah. be cool. Yeah. So awesome. Thanks so much, Michelle. Hey, thank you. Take care. Hey, quick heads up that the Imperfect Eating Facebook group is growing and it's so exciting. Every Friday I do a live training in there uh, based on your questions. So we cover different topics like stress eating, emotional eating. And so you're going to want to be a part of this Facebook group if you are saying things like, oh my gosh, I'm still struggling with stress eating or I just love food too much. I can't do a diet because I love it too much and I just eat constantly 
or, you know, how do I know when enough is enough? I, I eat and then I go overboard or, you know, I can do all or I can do nothing. I can be strict or it's well, well, less, but like, what does balance actually look like? So if these are things that you're struggling with, definitely check out the show links, live trainings every single Friday at 12 p.m. And then you can submit your questions, something you're struggling with. Can't wait to meet you in there. Take care.